Hey listeners, Chloe here. If you need to stay as up to date with the latest developments and innovations in the luxury industry as I do, you need to dive into Vogue Business. It's your ticket to a global perspective on fashion and beauty, delivering exclusive insights that will give you the edge in this competitive dynamic industry. Just visit VogueBusiness.com today and use the code RUN20 at checkout to join the Vogue Business community. That's VogueBusiness.com, promo code RUN20. Don't miss out. So, Choma, you had a pretty uh, chill weekend. Oh, totally chill. <laughs> I was just home with my children. Tell me what you were doing. Oh, you know, I just went to Dubai to see a Beyonce concert. <laughs> Dubai for 48 hours. Oh, and I should introduce, we have an esteemed guest with us today. We to do, talk we about do. Our colleague, Nicole Phelps. Hi, ladies. Nicole, what is your official title at Vogue? I'm the global director of Vogue Runway and Vogue Business. Nicole means business, and we are going to talk about the hotly debated couture shows. But I, I'm sorry, I have to hear about Dubai and Beyonce and the baby camel that I saw on your Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Lots to unpack. But first, I'm Chaminati. And I'm Chloe Mel. And Choma quite literally had a lot to unpack. There were a lot of outfits for 48 hours, I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the run-through with Vogue. So for the opening of Atlantis of Royal New Hotel in Dubai, they invited Beyonce to perform to sort of mark the opening. And it was a... This is her first time performing in what, four years? Four years. It was okay. her first time performing in four years. Um, so I went to cover. Oh, I was very lucky enough to cover it. Mm -hmm. And it was a real experience. And I think, I don't even know where to begin because a Beyonce concert is a fully immersive experience. You know, she's a, she is a true performer and she's one of the, you know, the, the best performers that we have living right now because I just think she really embraces and completely immerses herself in the in performance. Not only performing, but you were reminded of the power of her voice because there was a lot of choreography, but what she what she just played all of her big power ballads. Like you were reminded of the power of her voice. She started with that last, that wonderful song. Oh, um, the Etta cover, James. The, the Etta James. That she, she sang at um, Obama's inauguration. She did Ave Maria. Like, wow. Oh, she did obviously Halo, you know, all <laughs> of her hits. But she, you were just reminded like, wow, she can sing, you know, and she had this... 48-member, all-female all orchestra behind her, and it was just... She also had a very special person joining her on stage, no? She did. And so everybody sort of cried when this happened. Basically, she invited Blue Ivy, her daughter. I thought that that was the most touching moment of the um, of Blue Ivy is 11? Blue, Blue Ivy is 11, I believe, yeah. Um, and she she brought her out for Brown Skin Girl and dedicated the song to her. And, and, and um, Blue Ivy danced and people were just crying. Oh, my God. Were I, you crying? I was. You're and like I'm, tearing up now. It's ridiculous. I'm not, I'm not even a, I'm not even a Beyonce stan. I don't know all the words. I, you know, I lo obviously, I love the hits and I love I've seen Beyonce perform before, but I didn't think I would be moved to that point. But I think something about the mother daughter thing and. You know, the whole so was it jet lag, maybe. I don't know. It was um, <laughs> a combination of intense feelings. It's the desert heat. <laughs> desert heat just overcame me. But so I read that it's rumored she was paid $24 million for this performance. Rumored, rumored. And I also heard that $23 million of that went to Blue Ivy. Was Do you think that they, they got the show that they paid for? I mean, is she that dynamic a performer that it was worth waiting four years that everyone's talking about I mean, it was worth it? a 14-hour flight to Dubai. Okay. It was worth... I think, 
Yeah. I mean, it was, a, you know, it's an intimate setting. There were 1,500 people. You'll, you, you know, you rarely get to see a performer of her caliber in that setting. I think people, when they see a performance, they want they want opulence. You know, I think that's where, it, where you know, and I, I kind of tracked down all the designers who who um, designed the costumes. Oh, yeah, she had a, a local designer do, I mean, the first dress, which looked like yeah. the Sun Queen coming yeah, out. Yeah, that was a, a female-owned um, Omani designer based in, in Dubai, mother-daughter okay. mother team, designed that dress. And then um, the second dress was a Lebanese designer called Nicholas Gibran, who, who did that very epic velvet kind of dress that she wore with a, a slanted hat to the Grammys. It's a vel- like very form thing. And then she closed with a, a designer uh, called um, Ivan Frolov from Ukraine, who's based in Ukraine and makes everything and in Ukraine. And she really checked all her boxes, didn't she? Uh, you know, she does things with intention. She doesn't speak publicly often. I mean, she never speaks, but she lets her, her fashion do the talking, I do think. you know. Right. So, uh, yeah, and, and he said that they, you know, they've continued to produce throughout, I, you know, we were... I was emailing with him, and he 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 just mentioned that. Is he still in Kiev? He's still in Kiev, and they produce everything in Kiev, despite wow. the ongoing situation. So God, I think we're he worried felt about very, our shipping issues. I know, and I, <laughs> so I think it was a very emotional moment for him to have her close the show in that dress. But and those pictures going around allowed. the world. Photos weren't allowed, but so many people took their phones. I think, you know, I was with the journalists, and we were they were there was a very much a Hawkeye on us to not not, you know, capture anything, but a lot of other people definitely, a lot of attendees. And I what saw was so your much best Dubai experience? Aside from the concert, which was obviously a once yeah. in a lifetime, uh, you know, I kind of wanted to go into, I'm not into the, the I didn't go to the mall. I was like, I had, I had time to do one kind of excursion. Mm-hmm. So I went to the red sand dunes. Cool. And um, I went what's called sand bashing. And it's basically... What is that? You get in a four by four and you and you kind of like slalom across across these sand dunes and it's Okay, so it's like a safari jeep. Kind a safari of thing. jeep. No, no, no. And then and then I did a ca- a camel ride. A camel ride as well. And, to, and, and, and I saw a baby camel. Oh, I was very and excited. It, and they about were like that. smooching. It was so Aww. cute. It was very cute. I mean, that was to me was like, okay, like I've checked off a bucket list thing. Yeah. And I definitely loved baby it. Baby camel so, check. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. We're here with Nicole Phelps. I think of you as like the major domo of fashion criticism uh, at Vogue and in in the world at large. Can you tell us how long you've been writing about fashion and at Vogue? And well, I've been at in fashion since the late '90s, but I uh, started reviewing collections when I went to Style.com in late 2004. So I'm coming up on 19 19 years. Oh wow! Going to runway shows. Wow, 19 years going to runway shows. That's impressive. And you've been in your current role. I came to to Vogue in in 2015, in the summer of 2015. So that is a long time, too, going on eight years. What's your full title right now? Uh, (laughs) Global Director of Vogue Runway and Vogue Business. Tell us about Couture Week. Yeah, because I think people don't quite understand what couture is. 
you know, versus ready to wear. And... Well, I'll try. <laughs> but you, you'll have to help me. So Paris, the home of high fashion for, for centuries. and it Because was... haute couture means high fashion. Correct. <laughs> and until the middle part of the 20th century, uh, high fashion was made to order. Uh, women would go to Paris and uh, go to fashion shows and order right off the runway. The invention of ready-to-wear in the late 60s, uh, you know, Yves Saint Laurent, Rive Gauche, as opposed to Rive Droite, because Rive Droite was where the couture atelier was. Rive Gauche is where it was. Left bank, right left bank. bank yeah. Left bank and happening. And uh, oh, so that's interesting. So the idea I of couture. I actually did not know that. So well, thank I hope you. I'm getting it right. <laughs> so basically everything was couture until ready to wear became its own category and then kind took of over the world. ballooned and took <laughs> Correct. over the world. Correct. Okay. So why does couture still exist? It feels a little anachronistic. Like, well, what what are we doing here still? Right. Well, the thing is, is that, like I said, I've been in fashion since the late 90s. And even then, fashion was ax- asking itself existential questions. Like, why does couture exist? Who is the couture client? And probably uh, it's a, a mixture of both. There are very affluent clients who are still ordering, you know, five-figure and six-figure dresses and tires, but then also it is an amazing marketing uh, machine. So are they making money from these? I think some houses do make money from, from, from couture, yes. Chanel, Dior, they have you know, real client bases who they invite to the couture shows. That's another difference between couture and ready-to-wear. When you go to a couture show, there's a lot of VIP clients. It's actually women sitting at the front row being like, I want this one for, what, 100K? Like, what? Give me a a price range. (laughs) Well, that's probably in the ballpark. I mean, some ready-to-wear now we know cost five figures, right? The famous Bottega Veneta leather uh, skirt was $19,000, I think. There are definitely Gucci dresses that are upwards of $30,000. And so a six-figure dress, you know, when it is made by hand, uh, each and every stitch, you know, each embroidered uh, sequin put on there by hand and uh, and made to measure uh, and then tailored uh, at least once, sometimes more than once, to your body. You go for a fitting and right. they make adjustments. Italy. And is it like real sort of people, women who have been doing this for their whole lives, or is it now sort of a younger generation is taking over? Or When you go do the preview uh, with Pier Paolo at, at Valentino, uh, he brings the atelier from Rome to Paris. And so, yes, it wow. is. Oh, cool. Uh, it is uh, women who look like they've been doing it for many years, for decades even, and they're wearing their white robes. And uh, each piece is you know, laid out on the table and you see them doing the most, you know, intricate, mind-blowing I mean, they're work. wearing like lab coats. It looks like they're scientists. Mm. It's it's amazing. Yeah, their commitment and their passion. I'm still kind of intrigued that, 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 that they exist and they do this and they're so committed and it seems like there's a real camaraderie and passion in what they do. Yes, and the level of... Um, just perfection, you yeah. know. Like when I yeah. try to sew something, I mean, it's just a it total looks like mess. That. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we respect the beauty and the the craftsmanship. However, there is an argument. I mean, the couture shows happen twice a year: once in January, once in July. Always in Paris. There's about eight to ten houses that show couture. Is that what that? 
sounds fair. That sounds right. And then there are invited guests that the Fédération invites each season. Because there's a French official Fédération de Couture, right? Yes. And, uh, you know, you might be a guest designer for several seasons or several years until you're invited into the official official body. There's lots of rules and regulations. Okay. So now we've said why we like a tour. Can we also just maybe note that it seems a little, um, doesn't feel like a moment for the people, perhaps. It's maybe, I mean, I guess all fashion, high fashion is very much a one percenter game, but sometimes the couture shenanigans just feel very much uh, a completely different world that's not really aware of what else is going on. Is that fair? Oh, I think it's such a complicated question. Well, that's why we're here, Choma. <laughs> oh, I mean, personally, you know, um, I I do love to see the couture shows just for the fantasy aspect yeah. and to see like how where fashion can go and the, and just you know also appreciating the work that goes into it when you think about you know yeah. as as Nicole was saying because you know I think we've we've moved so far away from that in everything in every aspect of production everything has become mass so this idea of celebrating something that is completely custom and completely about beauty and fantasy feels important, you know, in a world where we're, you know, where everything has become removed in our food, in our, in the what we wear. Listen, I've, I'm never going to be the couture client, you know, I'm not <laughs> planning on marrying a, a billionaire. Um, so, um, I, you know, it's not, it's not something that Shall I look at you get a job where you are become a billionaire. You don't have to uh, marry well, we a billionaire. Hope. I'm manifesting, guys. <laughs> Maybe I'll be that couture client one day. But I just think that You might meet something... them in Dubai. We'll get back to that later. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I understand why people, especially in this moment where we're in a global recession, there's a war, people are very, people are very much sensitive to to the fact that it feels very separate from what's going on in the world. And it, and it perhaps, you know, doesn't resonate with those bigger issues that we're all dealing with. But we need a moment of escape, too, right? Sure. There's that argument of escape, of fantasy, of beauty. It's theater, too. It's theater. Yeah. It's actually theater. That is actually a really accurate way of, of putting it. There was quite a notable moment. <laughs> in fact, I think Choma made the... Note that it was an uproar. An uproar, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Nicole, will you tell us about why the internet went insane? Well, Daniel Roseberry is the new-ish guy at Scaparelli. He's been there for about three years, and he has uh, had one hit after another, probably most famously Lady Gaga wearing his Scaparelli creation to the inauguration. And, you know, celebrity after celebrity, Bella Hadid in that fabulous gold you know, lung capillary, breast-revealing dress <laughs> at Cannes. Uh, and I think he's in the headspace of really upping upping his game and uh, and maybe in, indulging his dark side a little bit. His, his concept this season was Dante's Inferno. Okay. And, uh, you know, which, of course, is hell. And so an exploration, uh, a deep dive into hell and... Uh, there were uh, several looks that had uh, what looked like 
real, very, very lifelike animal heads uh, on them. And the they represented pride and avarice and lust. Once they hit, you know, Instagram, which is what happens at fashion shows now, uh, the Internet wasted no time in really tearing <laughs> Ooh, tearing, tearing, tearing Scaparelli. We can keep going. The puns just write themselves. <laughs> this is like a do. dream for me. <laughs> right. And uh, it the, wasn't the pride of Paris. No, no. The no. criticism being that most of us don't like uh, animal hunting anymore, especially not wild game. A lot of those animals are, ex- you know, near extinction or endangered. And it appeared uh, to many that that these looks were really glorifying uh, big game hunting. And that triggered, uh, you know, sort of other topics around that, uh, around like colonialism, right. you know, the uh, people going into Africa to kill uh, to kill wild animals. Well, and I think for anyone who white men. Li- lives yeah. under a rock who maybe hasn't seen these images yet, these were— eerily realistic. I mean, and they were done apparently out of foam with silk, with hand-painted resin. This was a true coup of the couture craftsmanship that maybe we've never seen the likes of before. So it wasn't like something that looked, oh, that's a fake animal head. It, It was quite startling. Also, we should mention that before we even got to the show, we saw Kylie Jenner ascend those steps wearing the lion head that was would appear pre-runway pre-runway they've been cultivating a relationship i mean i think daniel's really smart he understands how to get the world world's attention he has revived this kind of house that nobody knew and well let's also can you just tell us what scaparelli the history of it just in one sentence like what is the scaparelli brand it does it have a history of this kind of trump loy shock moments well i think scaparelli was you know elsa scaparelli was a was a master of surrealism and there was always a sense of um, she was a, a, a real woman who was yeah. lived in the 30s designed had this exactly she was known for the lob like the lobster dress and there that was Wallace Simpson wore yes right? exactly and there was that that fabulous Met exhibit all about her work yes. you know um, so I think you know she she was an icon of her day and she probably would have loved this no? she would have loved this I think a little bit tongue in cheek a little bit kind of you know provocative and um I think Daniel knows. I think he knew what he was doing when he cultivated his relationship with Kylie. I don't know. It's hard to anticipate Kylie. the goddamn internet. I mean, well, maybe not. Maybe maybe not the extent of the backlash. But I do think, you know, knowing. I also think Kylie wants to, much like her sister, kind of be part of the cap- the fashion conversation in a real way. So she's cultivating really important relationships with designers, so that she's taken seriously in that space, and also trying to provoke and trying to seem like she's she's not afraid to make bold fashion moves because to be honest if someone said do you want to wear that dress I would be like no thank you it's too much for me just because it's a, it's a it's a look so I commend her for going there because I do think we need to like people need to be I don't know. I think it's. Do I think we it's do exciting. we need to be wearing lion's heads? Like no, just to play devil's advocate. I don't know. We need to be wearing lion's heads, but I do think there's. I do think there's a place. I just. I'm upset when people are constantly policing people's no, no, I didn't fashion agree choices with the or the runway yeah. or like someone's vision or you know without there's no nuance. It's like okay, like well maybe do a bit of research and fi- first of all they're not real, so calm down. Yeah. Um, second, and then you know, interestingly, I thought. It was interesting that Peter came out and called it fabulously innovative. They basically had this whole statement. Yeah, Peter really yeah. did the backlash to the backlash. Yeah, which I thought was great, you know, and they thought this is actually a statement against trophy hunting 
And we we applaud it. So that was kind of, you know, I thought that was quite a radical moment because, you know, I think a lot of people were like, this is endorsing. Da, da, and it's and actually you can see it from the other side. Oh, I love worked up Choma. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and also we were having this ongoing conversation about the sort of real fur versus fake fur. And I think now fake fur can look incredibly real. Right. Right. And there is. You know, there is this whole debate over whether actually fake fur, is it sustainable? Like, you know, we're, and, and at a certain point, you know, it looks so lifelike. Should we be able to wear our vintage furs, which are also kind of, you know, wh- where does that put everybody? If sure. something looks so real, then why not, you know? Right. Because I think there's a lot of the debate around fur is, and the, the conversation around fur is, is kind of still rumbling on. And I think this idea that we can create looks actually looks so lifelike is bringing up that conversation again. Okay, but Nicole, apart from the backlash to whether it's correct to have this animal, is this good fashion to me? I I just sort of feel like it's a bit of an emperor's new clothes. It felt a little um, like the Caperni spray paint address on Bella Hadid, like a shock moment. Sarah Moer, our reviewer, made made the good point that shocking is in Scaparelli's yeah. DNA. You know, her perfume was famously called shocking, oh. and shocking pink was her color. And uh, the trouble is, is that Elsa Scaparelli didn't have to wrestle with uh, the internet or with or with Instagram. You know, uh, fashion images were dispersed in a much more slow and and uh, regulated uh, way. You know, right. us fashion editors dispensed things, you know, by the month in fashion magazines. Right. People didn't see them instantaneously and the stories didn't sort of, t- you know, find legs of legs of their own. I totally agree with you. Uh, minus those those three or four pieces, the collection was was beautiful. And uh, but no one's talking about it. That that is the bargain that Daniel made, and I would love <laughs> the deal with the devil. You might say, <laughs> right? I'd love to know how how he's feeling today, because obviously, uh, you know, Instagram coups, those those red carpet moments, have really become part of his DNA and his and his brand, mm. and so it is a bit of a shame that the the beautiful the beautiful workmanship of the of the tailoring and those nipped hourglass waists on those on those, those jackets suits, that that uh, pinstripe suit oh that was gorge. those I think those were hand painted stripes wow. or something wow so my <laughs> favorite part about January Couture personally is that. I feel like it's a preview and a guessing game of who's going to wear what to the awards shows, the Oscars, the SAG Awards. I thought, to me, the Dior dresses were just so gorgeous. I want to see all of those on the red carpet immediately. What did you feel like was the most, what's the most wearer-friendly of these collection so far. Well, I agree with you. Dior was really, really beautiful, especially I loved the sort of crinkly metallic uh, dresses at the end, the which velvet, were really... Were they velvet or... Uh, I, I think they were more like, like silk the green or like long a, ones? Oh, those were gorgeous, but I'm okay. thinking of the metallic. There's okay. a pair of metallic ones. And, uh, you know, Maria Grazia Cherry, very uh, deconstructed compared to Christian Dior, which was, of course, all about uh, the corset in that 1947 new look silhouette. And she has loosened up uh, the Dior, the Dior shape so much. And I think that's what that's been her her sort of mission there and also her strength to make them woman friendly in a way that maybe they weren't 80 years ago. Those I pieces. do love that, I have to say, because I think 
There's so few women designing. You really for feel that with women. her collections. Yeah. It feels like someone who wants a woman to feel comfortable. Yeah. And Especially because you're in the red carpet. It just must. Ugh, it's just when you feel most yeah. exposed. Mm-hmm. You just want to feel good and comfortable in your own skin. everyone, it's Chloe, and I'm so excited to share something fabulous with you. Vogue's first ever global fashion community, Vogue Club. Our members get to mingle with Vogue editors, yes, including me, and fellow fashion enthusiasts at exclusive events around the world. And that's just the start. Membership opens doors to the fashion industry, bringing you expert career advice and insider style and beauty tips. What are you waiting for? Head over to Vogue.com membership to join. And here's a little treat. Use code TRT20 and snag 20% off your membership. That's TRT20 for 20% off your ticket to Vogue Club. Are you in? Hey, Run Through listeners. Are you curious about what goes on behind the scenes at Vogue and in the world of fashion? Join Vogue Club, a -a one-of-a-kind fashion community where you can unlock exclusive access to Vogue editors, industry players, and fellow members, as well as receive expert style advice, tickets to VIP events, handpicked gifts, and so much more. Visit VogueClub.com today and get 20% off using promo code THERUNTHROUGH20. That's VogueClub.com, promo code THERUNTHROUGH20. We're back with the run-through with Vogue, with a guest that we are very excited to talk to. I mean, would you say she's an it girl of Hollywood? I don't know if we say it girl anymore. She's True. She's a woman of the moment. And the cover star of Vogue's most recent issue. Right. I mean, what, what, what would you say was her breakout role? I think it was Lady Macbeth. Through hell and high water, I will follow you. Sebastian! To the cross. <gasps> to the prison. She's a disease. Then I feel like America really started to pay attention to her in Midsommar, which was the Scandinavian horror film. And then I personally always think of her as Amy from Little Women because she was so good at that. I'm just a woman. And as a woman, there's no way for me to make my own money. Not enough to earn a living or to support my family. And if I had my own money, which I don't, that money would belong to my husband the moment we got married. And if we had children, they would be his, not mine. They would be his property. So don't sit there and tell me that marriage isn't an economic proposition because it is. And then for more, you know, superhero-y, Marvel-y people, she was Black Widow's little sister to Scarlett Johansson. Wow, she's ticked all the boxes. She did um, Don't Worry Darling. She was in Don't Worry Darling. She played Alice. And then in March, she has a... uh, a movie with her ex-partner, Zach Braff, that he wrote and directed called um, A Good Person. I heard what happened to you, the accident. The woman that died was about to be my sister-in-law. All right, Florence, welcome. We're so excited to talk to you. Where are you? Where am I? I'm in England at the moment. I'm just taking, I'm taking it slow the beginning of the year. Good for you. I'm, I'm not getting stressed about anything. Good. I feel like I feel like the whole of December is so um, so bloody stressful. You end up like trying to make everything perfect and be perfect and 
get everything that's going to make everybody happy. And then the new year starts and everyone's like, are you ready to be peaceful and good? (laughs) No, I'm still hyperventilating from December. That was crazy. (laughs) Are you in your new apartment in London or are you on set? No, I'm not. That, that is actually being built as, as we speak. Wow. Are you going to have a crazy kitchen to do great cooking with flowers? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were trying to guess what appliances you might have in your new kitchen. You know what? I'm now like, it's all of those big girl decisions where I'm like, I don't have to have the hand-me-down kettle. I can get a nice <laughs> one. <laughs> is your dad giving you advice on like what, you know, what kind of stove to get? Is this like an aga or, a, you know? He is actually. So he, um, my dad's a designer. And um, he designed all of the restaurants that he runs. And so wow. he's really good at having... Dream kitchen collaborator. Yeah, but not even just kitchen, but just like in general, like spaces. And okay. lots, of his, lots of his inspiration comes from Moroccan architecture and Spanish architecture. And uh, so I have lots of lovely spaces that I'm trying to fill with some of his, you know, special touches. And that's been really sweet. More is Moorish. Exactly. More is more is more is more is more. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, as as a fashion person, I have to ask you about the closet space. Is that something that you care about? I always do when I'm in a new apartment. It wasn't something that I ever did because I was like, well, I'll just put it in drawers. And then you realize that you actually do need space to do high kicks and swirly whirlies. <laughs> you need to figure out if you can do roly polies in your outfit. Everybody has a glam room these days. <laughs> exactly. I um, No, I've actually, I've made... One of the little rooms, which I think used to be an office, I've I've made that into like my 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 dressing area. I had, I have so much stuff though, so I have no idea where I'm going to put it. I'm just frantically trying to find storage in every single nook and cranny. Like in this, <laughs> in this whole thing. <laughs> Story of my keep, life. Like favorite outfits from red carpets, just for yeah. sort of memories. I do. I mean, most of the time they don't let you obviously keep them because they are gowns or they are right. couture or they're going to be bought by someone else across the world. And um, But I remember the, the, one of the most amazing um, gifts that I got was the first I won when I, I won a Biffa Award uh, for Lady Macbeth years ago. And I was wearing a Mew Mew. It was like a green tulle dress. And I looked like a pixie. I looked like a fairy, like a woodland creature. <laughs> and it had all these amazing ribbons and sparkles. And it was like genuinely one of the first big, like proper dresses that I was allowed to wear. And when I won, they said that I could keep the dress. Oh, that's like, so nice. Better than the award. Better than the award. <laughs> and so um, I actually haven't got it out since. It's still in the dust bag. I'm not touching it until I actually have a space to just okay. put it out and make it look pretty. What's the your favorite red carpet look you've ever worn? Ooh. Um, I loved um, my Venice Valentino black sparkly short mm. long sleeve explosion of fun this was my favorite i think can you help us ex- describe that a bit <laughs> since it's audio it was like a tool em- embellished yes. overlay with pants yes. underneath so it right was, it was this little corset with um it was all in in tulle and in, in quite like a, a hard netting so it was it wasn't didn't flow away in the wind like my other pink valentino dress it was quite crisp and then all along the uh surface were uh, half circle sequins that were sewn into the top of the fabric and into the underneath. So whether you get a glimpse of the skirt being lifted up or or whether I'm twirling, there were all these little twinkles happening all over. Amazing. The kind of like polka dots in the end. 
So and um, got it fitted so that it was really cinching in all the places where it needed to be. And um, it was absolutely amazing. And I got to wear shorts on the red carpet, which is unbelievable. <laughs> well, and that wasn't the biggest twinkle on that red carpet. I was looking at some of those photos and Granny Pat really oh, yeah, she, sealed the deal there. She's planning all of her other outfits for future premieres. <laughs> I love it. So <laughs> your your grand came to Venice with you and she ended up posing on the red carpet. And it seemed like she really stole the show. She really did. It's also It was also so interesting because... She wasn't going to go because she wasn't going to renew her passport because she didn't believe that she was going to travel before she died. Oh, and that wow. was so like bleak and so on her because she's such an adventurer. How old is she? And um, she's 85. Right. Yeah, she's 85. She's such an adventurer. And we were like, no, you have to come to Venice and you have to come on the red carpet and you just have to. And she came and everybody treated her like she was a princess, like she was, you know, princess of Genovia. <laughs> she, um, she, was just, she was just completely alive and she twirled and curtsied and twinkled. And and then, of course, she did the same thing at, at the Wonder premiere in, um, in London and she wanted to come on the carpet again <laughs> and do all the same things. And this time I've got a premiere coming up in uh, March for my next movie, A Good Person. And uh, I was telling her about it the other day. I was like, you ready? It's going to be in New York and it's going to be a lot of fun. And and she goes, yes, I'm, I've chosen my handbag. I'm wearing my fluffy, <laughs> feathery handbag. I was like, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, um, of your red carpet accessories, speaking of bags, I actually loved the Aperol spritz that you put on the red carpet. <laughs> Thank you so much. Aperol spritz, they're for like any mood. They're yeah. for when you're going to get ready. They're for when you're not going to go out. They are just, they're like an adult Lucasade. <laughs> they get you going for anything. <laughs> it was great. You know what? Actually, that moment was so sweet because I'd just been working on June, like the night before the morning. And I flew over from, where was I? I was in Budapest. I flew over from Budapest. And my family were already in uh, Venice waiting for me. And so mm. when I got off the boat, my dad just handed me an Aperol spritz. And it was just like, it was like, you know, when you finally get to the party, it was wonderful. Dad knows how to set the mood. <laughs> yeah. So you just finished filming Dune 2. Where did you film that? And that was... We shot that predominantly in Budapest, but they went off and did other things. I okay. really, I was on it, I was on it over summer. And it was one of those things where like with each chunk of the movie, they go into a complete different chapter. So they really have to capture you in that moment and so I was there for summer and I shot um I think predominantly in Budapest yeah so you had dune shooting in the summer you had don't worry darling coming out in the yeah. fall then yeah. you had the wonder and now you'll have your a good person, a good person. so you yeah. you've earned January as a, a calming <laughs> month yeah I don't seem to do breaks very well but I think like <laughs> this you know this January I've been doing dry January as much as I want to oh, okay. which I think is a good you know, moist a good January yeah. <laughs> like I thought it was really good to start after my birthday because my birthday was a mental way to start the year you just then, turned 27 I just turned 27 happy 27. birthday yeah thank you <laughs> Do you have an outfit plan for the March premiere? Is that your next big red carpet? You know what? I've actually just started to talk to Rebecca, my stylist, about it recently because obviously all of the shows are happening now. Yeah, are you looking mm. at any of the couture pictures and we thinking... Are. Mm -hmm. We're looking at some of the couture. And also, you know, there's a lot of big events coming around the corner. There's mm. the BAFTAs. There's mm -hmm. 
balls and there's some parties and um yeah I'm just excited I think like whenever you finish a mega year of of amazing like fun events that you've worn amazing outfits to there's always this kind of beat of oh god how do we continue that do we continue it do we go now down a different avenue do we do another wink wink in a different style and I think actually this year I think Rebecca and I just really excited to figure out who 2023 is it 2023 yeah it is 2023 floss is gonna be we've been very invested in some of your sheer numbers and really been been proud of you for fighting the good fight do you think we'll we'll keep going that direction i've never been ashamed of showing my body even if you know loads of people want to tell me that i'm too fat for that or i shouldn't have shown this or whatever um so i think i think that's always going to be a constant in my life i do think with things like um you know with with the nipple dress and you've got to i didn't want it to be like an old you know record just going on and on i think like it's exciting because it's those one specific moments that you're like, yes, I'm going to fight for that. Mm. Um, but I'm, 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 as I said, you know, in all everything, every single time I've spoken about it, every single time I've written about it, I'm not ashamed. I think you just got to, you've got to pick your right moments to, to make it a moment so that it's not just, you know, people aren't seeing the same thing. Um, but yeah, I think, I think maybe a bit of sheer. I'm always into color, always into a lot of color. Okay. A lot of wow. Um, and always into different hair and interesting do's that Peter Lux does absolutely amazingly. Um, so I think maybe maybe we're going to go in a, a different hair route. I don't know. We're just we're, we're, we're yet to do the fittings, but um, there's a lot of opportunities around the corner. Rebecca Corbin Murray is your stylist for a long time. Do yeah. you guys like text each other photos, or is she mostly sending you a bunch and you're sort of you know, putting the thumbs up on the text thing or a heart. We do, we do text each other a bunch and we, we share a lot on Instagram together. And sometimes okay. like either or we'll share something absolutely amazing slash hideous. And we're like, <laughs> we love it, but we can't do that. <laughs> and so it's just like this constant stream of us, I suppose, kind of checking in with each other to see if maybe that's too mad or <laughs> maybe that's amazing or maybe that's my funeral dress or something. I don't know. <laughs> and do you ever take do you always have your nose ring in for red carpets do you ever think about doing a more like a real bejeweled nose ring is that like an accessory Um, you're you play with or not really you know what not many places do um you know interesting special septum uh, septum rings and i think one thing that I really, I wear um, a Maria Tash one and -hmm. this is the same one that got put in when i got it pierced with um when was that that was um, 2021, end of 2021. It feels like yeah. a real gap in the market. I feel like she's got the, <laughs> she's know. got the, she's she, completely she got the, yeah, covered. I mean, I, my, yeah. my piercings are, yeah, I think they're Mary Tash as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, and they're so pretty. And I think like, um, I remember when I told my parents that I had my septum done, my dad was like, Oh, I bet you look like a cow. And I was like, I don't <laughs> like a cow. You know, that classic, like, different generation, different idea mm. of what, you know, is beautiful. And and I remember them being, like, slightly surprised that it was kind of nice. <laughs> it's like, so I good on you. Who, who would you say your favorite designer is right now? Do you love wearing one person in particular, or you like to stay open? I've, I mean, we, we love 
I, you know, giving opportunities for lots of smaller designers and smaller brands. But I think we've been on such an amazing streak at the moment with Pier Paolo and, and Valentino. Mm-hmm. And that's just been such an amazing experience the last year, you know, having um, so many uh, amazing, talented people on that team um, looking out for me and, and trying to figure out what the next moment should be. And, and you know, because of that, I've got really close to Pier Paolo as well. So that's just been really wonderful. Um, so, yeah, I'm hoping to to dabble a bit more in that this year. Um, what is the favorite role you've ever played? This is something we were wondering about because I'm Amy a big Amy person, but, you know. Are you? <laughs> yeah, she, she was a lot of fun. Mm. She was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed her. Partly because she never really, I mean... I was kind of just left to my own devices to to make her as ridiculous or like grown up Amy as possible. And so it was kind of just free reign of figuring out who this amazing young girl was. I mean, I have to say, I've seen all the little women's in my day and Amy is invariably super annoying. And you somehow made her the most likable Amy March, the most likable <laughs> character who, who could have seen it. But now you've had many other roles. I just, that's one that sort of has stayed in my heart. Well, thank you for that. So I was just, we were wondering, what, what what do you think back on as, oh, that was really something I loved doing. Well, what's slightly worrying about it is the fact that both my, when my family went to watch it, my brother came out to the cinema. I think we were in Paris. We were at the Paris um, premiere and both my brother and my dad came out and they were like, it's just you when you were younger. <laughs> like, just <laughs> me getting my foot stuck in a plaster bowl and all of that stuff. So I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. Um, I loved I loved doing Midsummer. That was probably one of the... I mean, it was one of the taxing... It was one of the Oof. hardest roles to do. It was really, really hard. And also film filming it was really tough because it was so hot. And we seemed to be filming it forever. Did you film ever. it in Sweden? No, we filmed it in Budapest. Okay. And, um, Budapest gets super, super hot in summer, almost like like LA heat, like really, really unbearable, beating down heat. And we shot oh, wow. throughout the whole of summer. And <laughs> Midsommar, just um, for anyone who doesn't remember, was a, would you describe it as a horror movie? I mean, yeah, pretty yeah, much, right? Yeah, it's definitely a, it's an elevated horror like, movie. There you go. <laughs> it's very psychological. Yeah. But no, I, I definitely, um, I think, I think in every single role that I do, there's an element of fear of how am I going to do this and how am I going to um, achieve what it is that I've imagined in my head and and the the I suppose the margin of error for me is so slim that I I know what each role is really desperately needing and if I don't come close to it, then I feel like I've failed her or I've failed myself. And I think with Midsummer. I was definitely aware of what the role needed. And so there was this constant, I was nagging myself constantly throughout, like hoping that I was getting it right. But I think because of that, I had this immense like fire up my bum, basically, to (laughs) get the work correct and then do it right and go to work every single day, desperately trying to achieve what we needed. And so that was quite exciting, tiring, but I loved it. And then also the film that is actually coming out in March, A Good Person, was one of those beautiful projects where so many people um, who were invested in making the movie, we were all like a big family and we loved each other. And um, this had been a project that I'd been kind of on with Zach for a few years and he wrote it during the pandemic for me. Um, And it was one of those ultimate passion projects that uh, truly... um, 
every single day was was bliss and exciting and tested my acting again wow um so it's most you know those little passion projects that require a lot of energy from everyone are usually the ones where you come away going whoa that was really cool because i i put everything out there one of your not so hidden talents i think is your singing we we loved all the videos that you posted on on youtube Is there a, you know, you have such an incredible voice. Is there a musician that you dream of playing? You know what? Um, I've actually got music being released this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're playing yourself. Um, I am, yeah. I wrote music for the movie that is coming out in March, A Good Person. And, um, and you know, that's been just a whole exciting experience uh, that I've been desperate to do for years, ever since... I was at school. I, I mean, when I was at school, I really thought that I was going to be a musician before I was an actor. And then it just flipped somewhere along the way. And I think with just one of those things that means so much to you, you know, the less you do it, the less confidence you have. And you end up kind of losing your um, your heart in it because you're worried that it's not going to be as good as you remember it. And I think for years I was so scared of how to get in or how to do it. And then eventually... You know, this opportunity arose and I um, I read Zach's script and I said, I think I've been inspired to write a song. And so then we put them in the movie. Um, so it's kind of started my music, which is super exciting. Wow, um, that's so exciting. Yeah, I know, really exciting. Because I've been able to like dabble in it with with some um, uh, some characters in, in some projects and I've been able to sing, but never fully do it for real so yeah well we're gonna let you go soon but we do sometimes a lightning round of questions for our guests and we were wondering if we could do that with you quickly please go ahead okay so do you have a nickname besides flo i do well i have yeah i have flopsy (laughs) (laughs) and yeah i think mainly when i'm working it's flo but Flopsy. My grand calls me Flopsy. Cute. What's always in your fridge? Oh, manchego cheese. <laughs> cherry tomatoes on the vine. <laughs> a little bit of ham on. Maybe some chorizo. And I've been getting into kefir recently. Okay. Mm. Do you make your own? My my brother's very into no. making his own. Really? Yeah. I'm not that dedicated and I wish I was, but <laughs> kefir. Very good for the tummy. I, yeah, I know. That's why I drink loads of it. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm I'm like that with kombucha. That kombucha is my kefir. You? <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> what is your go-to comfort meal? I think my mum's bolognese. Mm, sounds good. Now, you're not doing dry January, but you're doing moist January. What's the, the drink of choice? Moist January sounds so gross. I know, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Semi-dry, semi-dry. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm recently loving a bit of grapefruit juice in my vodka sodas. Mm. It's really yummy. Yum. I really like it. Or just a nice big, big, bold glass of red. Mm. But remember, I'm not drinking today. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of drinks, the... Um... 
the martini that you made in that oh, yeah. in that video, the the garlic crostini cooking video that that, yeah. that we that we filmed with you. God, it looks so good. Yeah, it went it went viral. I think. <laughs> I mean, did you actually? Everybody wants to know. Did you actually drink the martini? Fill up your shaker with ice, and then fill up your shaker with vodka. Oh yeah, I did. <laughs> yes. And pour that wonderful nectar into your glass. <laughs> <laughs> I paused to make another one and everybody kept on putting their hands up, like all the crew. I kept on being like, who wants one? Who wants one? And I would make rounds for people. And then, you know, I think at one point someone said, can you, I think it was Gabby maybe needed a Bloody Mary. And I said, I don't think we have the Bloody Mary stuff. And someone ran out and went and got tomato juice, Worcester sauce. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then we did a whole segment of me making Bloody Marys that didn't get put into the video, but it's simply because people wanted Bloody Marys. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was a lovely day. Do you have a go-to song that you're for karaoke? Are you much of a karaoke girl? You know what? I have. I actually haven't done karaoke since I was tiny. And when I was tiny, it was um, most of the theme songs to any of the depressing movies that I was watching at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I need to get into it. I don't know. I don't, where, do, where do you go in London? Do you, Are you both in London right now? No, no we're in no. New York. Okay, well, you need to give me a list for when I come to New York then. There's some great... There's some fun places. I wouldn't know where to go in London, but I just haven't lived in London for a while, but definitely can give you a list for New York. Yeah, please do. <laughs> I'm coming soon. You'll just see me on my lunch break. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just pop up for a bit of karaoke. Yeah. In full Valentino. Yeah, of course. What are you, what are you listening to right now? What am I listening to? What do you actually want me to show you what I'm listening to right now? Oh yeah. 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 What yeah, and what song do you have on repeat? Oh, I have a lovely song that I'm listening to at the moment. Hang on, let me get it up. Light songs. Paint Your Nails Blue by Dirty Nice. Oh. Lovely song. Great song to start the year with. All right, okay, we're gonna, gonna have to check play them it. out. Yeah, you will. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for talking you. to you. Thank you, Di- that was so swift and easy. Thank you so much. The Run Through Vogue is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate and review it. We want to hear from you. <laughs> Send us a hello or any questions or thoughts you have about the show to the run through at Vogue.com. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. See you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>